everybody, and welcome to Guts and Glory. I'm your host, Chantal. We have a wonderful guest here today who has an incredible story of triumph to share with you. I'd like to welcome Aliyah Abutalib. Hey, Aliyah. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I know we've had a lot of conversation before the show, so we really need to get into the nitty-gritty right now. Yes. So tell us about your journey. So just to... I just want to take us take us way back. So way way back. Way back. Roll back that. So you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease 20, 27 years ago. About twenty seven years ago, I remember it was. Uh, I actually remember it was February twelfth, nineteen ninety six. Oh my gosh, you like remember? I remember the moment. I remember the feeling. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the doctor. I remember everything. And at that time, how old were you when you had that diagnosis? It was about um, a month before I turned twelve. My gosh, you have such strong memory of that. I remember it, yeah. But you were unwell for a couple years before that, right? Like, you're, it wasn't just like you became sick and your diagnosis, like you had some issues. Yeah, I remember becoming really symptomatic around the age of 10. I went from being, um, like, extre- extremely healthy. I was very, very athletic, like, involved in every sport right. possible. Um, you know, always, like, top on my teams um, to just, like every symptom you can imagine like it was it was bad and you're so little you're 10 like this. yeah and I, I had no idea I remember um not knowing what I was feeling except that it wasn't good and I remember the feelings that came along with it of um people just not understanding and I guess almost not knowing what to do right yeah so when you started getting medical attention like did your diagnosis come fairly soon at that point? Um, yeah. So how I remember it happening was I remember, I think it was my family doctor. Everyone, even even though I was only 10, they're like, um, or I was like 11 then, sorry. Um, they're like, you know, we think she's just being like a stubborn pre-adolescent. Like picky with your food. Yeah, just just being a brat, literally being a brat. Like, I just didn't want to go to school. And it's like, no, I was in severe pain. And you could see in the weight change, like, I I was skin and bones. Um, I couldn't eat. I couldn't, like, stand up straight. I did not do any of my activities anymore. I was actually in a really bad place mentally, even at that age. Well, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. And you're going through serious physical illness. I've never even really spoke about that because I just, it's just crazy to think back that what I was going through actually from 10 and how I felt. Um, it's pretty scary. But I remember in terms of the diagnosis, finally, like, they actually sent me to sick kids. Right. Thinking I was being bratty. So for, like, psychological assessment, essentially. They wanted to admit me to, I remember the Unit 7A, um, an eating disorder floor. And I'm thinking, how are you going to afford And I remember the fear being, like, I'm very confused because you have all these people who are talking about you like you're not even there. You know what you're feeling. You're a, you're a whole person. It doesn't matter that you're a child. I was very aware. And they ended up finally doing some testing, and that's immediately when they were like, oh. Like you actually have a chronic illness. I, she's very severely, severely ill. Like I wasn't right. just trying to be a difficult and I have I have no experience as being I was diagnosed at 20 so I the only experience that I know of people who have been diagnosed with IBD as a childhood have been through guests and people that I've met along the way and it's interesting to see similarities in the stories in terms of like people having strong memories of not 
like thinking that kids were just being picky or that kids didn't want to go to school or that they were looking for excuses and not really taking them seriously until it became so ill. Like until you're to the point where you're like this, like we don't know what to do. Yeah. And it was it was really traumatic. And it was actually really traumatic in the sense of, you know, you're not being heard and you have people telling you I, I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Like a lot of trouble for because you asked out. Right. I wasn't even really acting out. I just like I couldn't go to school. I was in pain like and I had also switched schools and um, not having a really good experience in my new school. Um, and they were just like, you're missing school. They even bring me into the principal's office, like scream at me like you couldn't do those things nowadays. Yeah. Someone's child. Um, but yeah, no, it, I felt very persecuted and it was it was very traumatic. And those things have like stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So once you got your diagnosis at the kids, did like because we're gonna get to like a year and a half ago, like what you kind of was over a year. And yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. So when you got to the kids, you got your diagnosis. Did you did you then get on a treatment plan? Did you see yourself in a little bit of remission for a few years? Like twenty seven years ago is a long time. Like tell us about the twenty seven years post diagnosis. So uh, from I was diagnosed, I pretty much had to. Um, learn the illness myself right um i remember i was put on prednisone uh yeah not there was no biologics at that time not right. promoting all those things um but just there was a certain class of yeah my father was, was a single father doing the best he could right um and you know my my dad actually probably had a harder time with it than me like how do you navigate a sick child he didn't under he couldn't yeah. understand and he still to this day struggles um and he couldn't understand um, that it's not curable. Right. Like he would tell people it's curable and I'm like, but it's not. And I'm 12 now yeah. and they're like, no one's listening to a 12 year old. I'm like, no, it's not. Right. Like I'm explaining to you, it's chronic. Like it's not going to go away. Like I might get to a point where I start yeah. to feel better, but it's always looming that this could happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a very, very hard time as I do still to this day, adjusting to medication. The prednisone was just... Like, you mean when you have to change and go on to something new? Yeah. My body's yeah. very sensitive to medication. Yeah. Like, I actually get weird side effects, like, just it, just everything under the sun. Like, I and they can make me quite ill, actually. Um, do the opposite of what they're supposed to do. So I was on prednisone for years. That seemed to be the only thing. They tried, like, a bunch of other therapies. But that was giving you some sort of relief in a way, which it often does. Yeah. Say prednisone is usually, like... It did give relief. Yeah. It's just not a long-term solution. Yeah. And then, you know, I didn't even understand that my face was so swollen until, you Your know, face. until you look at pictures and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> kids are cruel, too. Kids are cruel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was like the intervention um, definitely for the first long, long while. Right. I started getting hospitalized pretty consistently uh, from I was 14. Okay. Um, and then once biologics came out, I was 19. They weren't fully approved yet for Crohn's disease. They were still in right. whatever trial. Yeah. But they ended up putting me on uh, Remicade at 19. And I think that was probably the first point where I was really able to stop taking prednisone. And and feel some type of sustained for a version bit. of wellness. Yeah. 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 I was good for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm just going to, is it okay if we go to February 2022? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so so it's, what is it now, April 2023? It's April 2023. Uh, yeah, so 
February 2022, yeah. you are extremely ill. You're in the emergency department. So how I'll kind of backtrack yeah. a little bit. Yeah. All the pandemic. So, okay, I'll try to brief it up. Um, I got hit by a car in 2019. Lord, girl. Yeah. Okay. Good times here. Right. It sent me into a whirlwind of uh, just a flare. Right. Uh, like, it was really bad. They were trying to treat it. Um, nothing was working. I was on antibiotics. Developed uh, C. diff. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go, friends. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> C. diff is, ooh, and it took them a long time. The test kept coming back negative for a long time. I was very sick. Right. I think also, too, like when we have IBD, like every single time I've ever went to an emergency and I've been like, I'm flaring, like I have ulcerative colitis, I have inflammatory bowel disease, like this is what's happening to me. There's always like, we're going to test you with C. diff first. We're going to put you in quarantine. We're going to test you for C. diff. As soon as you say you have diarrhea, it's like, oh, yeah. You know, and they keep running those tests. And most of the time, they come back negative, negative because you think, okay, this makes sense. This is my disease. Like, this and is what's going on. You're literally a prisoner in your own body. Yeah. The toll it takes on your mental health because. Yeah. I went down to like, I think at one point, 95 pounds. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, I do I look like that? Like, and that's scary when a doctor, multiple doctors at top hospitals are like, yeah, the blood work looks good, whatever. Right. We can't, I'm like, like the tests are the not tests are showing. showing. And yeah. I'm like, perfect. Like, you know, like obviously there's something wrong. So um, I ended up being back on prednisone because of the C. diff. Um, after they treated that, I just, you know, that just takes even more of a toll on your colon. Yeah. Diff. Like it actually can put, I'm not a medical professional, but you know, healthy people, it can induce colitis and in healthy people. It's just like a lot of, it's, it wipes out your bacteria. Yeah. A good bacteria. We yeah. say the word bacteria. We always think the healthy negative. bacteria, the yeah. healthy bacteria, yeah. but that's the same thing with antibiotics and stuff too. Like it's, it's anything that's going through yeah. your body like that takes its toll. Exactly. And then you're already someone with IBD. Yeah, and we're in the midst of the pandemic. Yes. So there's like... In case you guys forgot about that. Yeah, this is... Oh, God. Like, the the only thing that was nice at the very beginning of the pandemic, and I feel bad saying it, is like the emergency department. Like, it was quick. Because people were petrified to go, which also yeah. made it bad because people were actually staying at home and were dying yeah it was like that third like i had a, people were petrified yeah it was like it's like a third the third wave of covid is like the people who i was needed going to yeah you needed to seek yeah. medical attention during covid and didn't because they were afraid to go to the hospital and now like you know they're in stage four cancer and different levels of disease you know when they just would have went to get help in the first place yeah I yeah i totally get it and you're on biologics your immune system's weak you're actually you are sitting beside people who are yeah. are actually positive yeah and you're like this is a lot so fast forward i'm failing all these treatments they have me now on um like tests uh trials right um december 25th 2021 so christmas day that whole week i just was like i don't feel really good right? like it was lethargy to the point i was like passing out i was like something just doesn't seem like a lot of malnourishment and like i've never felt anything like that yeah like it, it was awful so, but I had also just stopped prednisone. So this is like my body's with so, weird stuff. Like, but I'll, and I know that can affect your adrenals. So, you know, we do this though. Do you know that? Like as chronically ill people, we will be having symptoms we've never experienced before or symptoms that we've sort of had before. And we always make a reason as to why it's happening in our brains, honestly. And I kind of talk your condition yeah. too. And it's a bit of a coping too. mechanism too. Like, okay, this must just be because I stopped this medication. Like, we'll give it a few days and I'll be okay. Like, oh, this must just be because I ate such and such. It'll be yeah. okay. Well, like, it's also the education part too. Yeah. I know the toll 
that prednisone will, can and will, for the most part, take a toll on you long-term use. Yeah. So as soon as I went into the emergency, I remember just like passing out and there was pain and and I just immediately kept telling them as I was like passing out, I was like, I've just finished prednisone, please check my adrenals, yeah. please check my adrenals. And um, a doctor, because um, I don't think they have an, a specific endocrinology team there, internal medicine, they're like, your adrenals are messed. You were correct. I was like, I knew. Yeah. So you're also just coming off of C. diff, having C. diff. You have prolysis. Months that I'm in a very sick yeah. flare. I was at like, I was at the worst level of inflammation. You I was going to say your star active protein was probably through the roof. <laughs> oh, it was yeah. magnificent. Yeah. I like that. And I always tell them, I'm like, check this, check that. Like, I have to tell them sometimes what to do um, just because I know my body, right? Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed with secondary adrenal uh, insufficiency um due to uh the use of prednisone so basically prednisone makes your body produce cortisol um so your body stops producing it on its own and it's really dangerous you you need uh cortisol to function right so now we're having to supplement that and now i'm back on a steroid to fix the steroid to fix that <laughs> so did they hospitalize you at that point? oh i was hospitalized okay and then they kept sending me home like, but meanwhile you're still lying like i'm flare you're still saying like i'm flare it's not just an adrenal thing days they were discharging me i was walking down the hall like this and i was like i don't feel good and the like, right. you're okay I, and literally it got from i was discharged probably about four times and it went from like two days one day 12 hours six hours i'd be readmitted you think they would have seen this trend yeah. So finally, January 1st, I was like admitted, admitted my, um, I can't, I don't, I was really out of it then in very severe pain. Um, my sister drove me to the hospital. I remember, um, I couldn't feel anything, but I felt pain. Right. And I just remember the, those couple weeks, like from the Christmas day to that, I li- I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like I was like, I felt like I was actually dying. Like, yeah. I was petrified. Yeah. And so we get to emergency. Emergency is ram-packed. Um, nobody can come in with you. I can barely walk. They throw me because I can't stand up. They literally are like, get on that stretcher while they're doing construction in, like, a really cold area. Yeah. They can't get IVs, nothing. Well, you're totally dehydrated. At yeah. Time. Like, I'm... I couldn't even speak. There's just tears rolling down my face. I actually almost called 911. I'm not even joking. Yeah. I, I was, and the nurses just started running over and they were trying to get anything into me, fluid, pain meds. And they took me up to the annex emergency. And uh, that's when I was admitted. And it took a couple weeks. I was so backed up from strictures, the inflammation. I was just going to say, I'm assuming there was something going on there. It was so bad. Like, I don't want to gross anyone out. They, this is a podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> I just don't want to traumatize people. But it was... We, we do gross. I know. <laughs> like, but, it, but it's real life. It was... Um, I was so backed up. They were pumping me full of so many things to flush it out, and not one thing was working. Yeah. And it but was, when you have strictures and you have, like, I have, like, essentially, like, lazy colon right now, like, yeah. now because of so much disease and so much scar tissue. scar tissue. So, like, as someone with IBD, it's almost like I have the opposite problem, like, having the problem of constipation and not diarrhea right now. People don't realize it can go both. Yeah, they don't. They don't realize that. But you have all these strictures, so things are not moving. Like, no, there, there is just my rectum. Yeah. I went to the bathroom, like, normally. Yeah. Like, I didn't have diarrhea. So, my, right. like, I needed that. 
yeah non-stricture yeah and plus i had the inflammation on top of the stricture right um so um basically the only answer at that point was well uh, sorry i was so badly backed up they were trying everything i couldn't even pee it was pinching my urethra yeah so they had to keep doing in and outs i like it was i that alone the pain of just not being able to pee like my bladder alone was there was it was bad um so you obviously had some significant damage to the colon to the rectum you mentioned predominantly the rectum so you ended up having a proctocolectomy it was decided essentially for me to survive um long run um i really needed to have a full proctocolectomy so a full proctocolectomy um what that entails is uh the removal full removal of your colon full removal of your rectum and your anus i think they'd leave like a stump yeah for the anus just for some of our listeners when we say colon um some people refer to this as the large intestine so your gi tract you know is obviously bum to gum you have your small intestine which makes up the majority of your intestine there's a lot of feet of small intestine and then you have your large intestine or traditionally what most people will call your colon. Yeah. So you had your colon removed. You had your rectum removed. Well, they would have been taking the rectum out. And then if you don't have a rectum, you obviously for them. It was it was decided to also take my, I really kind of did want to keep my colon, even though I know just because I had heard there was less output. Right. I, you know, you're you're trying. Right. Anything. Right. And you're, you are literally on your deathbed at this point. Like 1000%. Yeah. I'm all I could think about. Uh, I'm ahead in this. I have my dog at home, as silly as it sounds, who is waiting for me to look after her. I really had no one. It's not silly. It was just. I now have a dog and it's like my life. I was traumatized. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the colon, the rectum, the anus. I also had a tumor on my ovary that was left untreated during the pandemic as well. So I was like. They took that too? I told them I was at like. The same just, time. It, it was a brutal. A little surgery. It was like, um, I think, eight to nine hours. Right. Um, because I had one previous surgery when I was 15. So their goal was to do it laparoscopic. I knew it kind of wouldn't work out like that because of scar tissue. But they tried to do it like that. But they And then also having to remove something from your ovary. Yeah. That's a lot of... To be honest, like, I'm totally... I get the laparoscopic, like, it's like yeah. scar tissue. But when you're going in there to take this much out, like, just... I need you to see what you're doing. Yeah. I always just tell them, I was like, whoever has the smallest hands, I don't know how it works. <laughs> but like, let's, yeah. So um, I woke up. When I woke up, I ended up having a C-section cut. Oh. I was going to say, I wonder how they went about doing. I, if, so, that's all I can tell you about. So that. now you have a permanent ileostomy. I have a permanent ileostomy yeah. now. Yeah. So it can't, unless there's some form of technology that eventually comes around in my lifetime. Um, yeah. I don't know about that. Don't know. I don't even know if I would want to opt for it potentially. Um, so yeah, I have a permanent ileostomy now. So this has been a year. February uh, 3rd, 20. So like you're like a year and three months, year and two months kind of as an ostomate. Yeah. And a Barbie butt. A Barbie butt, yeah. Which is a term I learned, you know, a few years ago with a podcast uh, host, but you had an interesting story about the Barbie butt thing. Oh, God. <laughs> so, okay, so what do you want to share? <laughs> I spent months in the hospital, like months. Yeah. And because I had every complication, got COVID after, right. hospitalized with COVID, no home care, well, everything under the sun I got. So I was in the hospital quite a bit of time. 
So, you know, you... They knew you were coming. They knew you. You walked in. They... She was like, hey, girl. They're like, walk back oh, oh, here. here she is again. <laughs> it got to the point, you know, you... Everyone sees everything on you. Well, you just don't have, like... You just don't care. Yeah, you know what? I think a few years of a few years after having IBD, like I feel like my sense of like shame and like my sense of just like oh my god, this is my body. Like, you become humble. It, it yeah, quite out the window. And like I don't have children, but like when I speak to my friends who have children, like a lot of the women in my life, like it's the same thing after you have kids. Oh yeah, like this hair, is just the way. Like, it is. like this, like this is what it is. Like this is this is actually reality. And once, like I always said, like I will never use a commode. I used to make myself basically crawl to the bathroom. I'm not used to the commode. And now it's just after like soon, after the surgery, you have to use the commode yeah. because you can't lean back. Yeah. Because if your bum cheeks spread, you're gonna tear the stitch. You literally can rip your your butthole, your butthole open. Yeah. <laughs> like I have to, I have to laugh about it. We should probably back up a second Sorry. for people who don't know what a Barbie butt is. Okay, yes. What yeah, is yeah. It? Because it, like, for example, go ahead. Barbie butt. So basically, we, we hashtag, hashtag Barbie butt. Yeah. Why we call it a Barbie butt is... Because, um, like, Barbie doesn't have a butt Barbie hole. does not have a butthole. So it's just, it, like, cheeks. It's just it's just the lie. <laughs> it is just a lie. We try to card swipe. Let's yeah. <laughs> if you want to do it without the club, go right ahead. <laughs> You know, you want to try it out. Oh my goodness. Can you match it? I love take payment. I just want to say. If they could take payment, I'd be real happy. I feel like there needs to be an OnlyFans for that or something. Uh, you know what? Everybody has been asking to see it. People have kinky fetishes, okay? So, like, 100%. I've learned. So, yeah. So, Barbara doesn't have a hole. It's just two cheeks. So, when you had your proctocolectomy, they would have taken, obviously, inside colon. They take the rectum. They take the anus. They sew it together. Yeah, they sold that thing shut. So you just, you have like two cheeks and like just a beautiful skin. By the, basically, the way I walked into my surgeon's office one day, and they know I'm a little silly, we'll say. But yeah, that's the term we'll use. I was like, look, guys, I was like, you know, it's like I have a year-round Christmas tree that it's, it, there's no function for it. It's just there for decorating my ass. It has no, yeah, it's just there. You could wear like, you could wear thongs and never have to worry about jack shit. No, literally. Quite literally. You still get that, like, intend that. Yeah. Wedgie but, part. But still. So but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have a Barbie, but I'm very... But that was a question I actually asked my surgeon. I was like, I don't have any shame because I was afraid. Oh, God. I was traumatized. I was like, if I wear a thong, and all my friends were, like, dying of laughter. I was like, guys, I'm being, like, dead serious. Okay, this is not a funny situation right now. <laughs> funny, but not funny. <laughs> Because the way I just say things is very, like... Direct. It's direct. If you are not direct with IBD, you are missing out. I don't... Yeah, I'm missing out. Yeah. Like, just... It is what it is. It's an opportunity. I flat out was like, I need to know if I wear a thong, is it going to rip my ass? Is it going to rip me a new... I'm so sorry for swearing. A new a-hole. We swear. I know. A new asshole. I was... Also, asshole, I think, is, like, regular part of IBD. Yeah, I was... Not for you anymore. Not for But I was petrified. I was absolutely petrified of like, like you know those, those things of like adjusting. Okay. Like, that's what people don't but you know. know. Sitting there, you're like, oh my gosh! Like I was asking these questions. Like, if ever I were to be faced with a surgery like you were yeah. to have, right? 
Like, they don't worry about those things. No, like, or I don't think this is, like, the first thing your doctor's going to say to you. Like, so just to let you know, for the next 68 weeks, you cannot wear a thong. Like, these are not, like, could you know what I mean? But these are honest-to-goodness, like, real human questions. Like, I am going to live with an ostomy for the rest of my life. I'm now going to have a Barbie butt. I need to get a shirt, by the way, hashtag. Um, you know? Or a tattoo. That's what I'm saying. Something. Right on the ass, Barbie butt. I don't, I, I'm going to something really epic. Yeah. Okay. But I just, like, but I, I get it, though. Like, I, like, these are the questions, like, just full on. Because you still want to remain, the hardest thing, especially after surgery, number one, I was so swollen from prednisone. Right. Surgery. I've never. Plus, you also had issues, like, had something removed from your ovary. 150 pounds of water retention. Right. Like, I, you could have rolled me, like, what's her name, Veruca Salt, like, the in Charlie. I literally was a blue. And I had to shop for clothes because I could not. Yeah, it, wear anything. Yeah. So plus now you have an Aussie, so it's like adjusting to what can you wear, what it, can you win. It does hurt. I don't care what they tell you at the end. They're like, oh, it doesn't hurt. No, you're recovering from surgery. My gosh, you must you. It hurts. And I developed pilot. Anybody who's had any abdominal surgery knows you're gonna have well, I, tightness and it's gonna be pain and, and just like sore and just like Well, and you have your intestines sticking out. Yeah. And I kept telling them something doesn't feel right, but I never had a stoma. Like So this is probably It took them three weeks. I was in such severe pain. They're like you have pyoderma, PG, I forget the name, the exact word. Um, basically, the Crohn's spread right around. Oh, like around the stoma, the site. Oh, okay. And you have to put... You had to treat touch that. You have to put tape on it all the time, obviously, because you have to, to wear the, the you bed. You not wear the bed. You have to hold the clients in place. So imagine having an open wound and being like, I have to... It's Continue it's, to stick something yeah, to it. Finally, three weeks in, they were like, oh, that is... A very painful thing. I was like, "Thank you for validating what I've been feeling for the last validating that." <laughs> when I literally was like, "I need pain meds and pain pain management team," was like, "No, thank you." Know, like when doctors and nurses say, say things to us that you're like, "Yes, this is what I've been saying this long." Sometimes I just want to be like, "Thank you." I do. I actually, I do. I turn to them and I'm like, "Thank you for recognizing me as an individual." Thank you. My daughters know me really well, though. Um. I did, like, I, I had to laugh at a lot of things when I was there, like, especially with the surgical team, even, like, the students, because, like, Sinai, that's my home hospital. Pretty much all of University Avenue is, like, teaching hospitals. Yeah. So I always try to have a good time with, like, the medical students, because, you know, they come in. Like, you need to know that this is going to be the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> a lot of them don't know things, but they're so eager. Yeah, 100%. And I love those I love students. I love students. I love they students. want to know all these things. If you ever, I've, ever, I've been asked before, like, oh, can we have a couple of students like come into your oh, I'm like, why are you even asking? Bring in the whole crew. Oh, like, I did. They would bring I will, all the I time. would be live on City TV yeah. Toronto if you want to. Like, let's do it. I like, like my pick line. You want to change it. I'm yeah. like, you want to look at that, do all that. So you came out of surgery, your friends, you've got a Barbie butt, you have an ostomy. I can just imagine people like, can you show me? Everybody wanted. What were they more excited to see? Your ostomy or your Barbie butt? They were, like, some of them were frightened. Some of them who were, like, moms were, like, can I see it and watch you empty it? At this point, you're just like, yeah, here we go. I didn't even care. I was, <laughs> like, I was like, you know what? Let's go for it because I may need help at some point. Well, you know, it's true. I was less, I was, like, maybe two months post-op. But, like, my friends are, like, I want to see it. Like, my butt. They wanted to see my butt. So also good on your friends for just being like free, like straight up with you. Yeah, like they're like I want like Aaliyah. It. I would like to see your ass. I, absolutely, but then I don't. I realized <laughs> I did start showing it off in contained environments. Uh, but then I was like, I probably key point, guys. Please keep it contained. Contained environments. <laughs> 
not in not public, in public, not in Walmart, <laughs> not in no frills. It is not happening. Um, but then I realized, and no, I'm not doing this, but I should be charging these people <laughs> this for the fuel. <laughs> Get your credit cards ready. Sweat. <laughs> Sweat. I'm like, can we just, can we just like implant a chip or something here where they can just tap, just, just tap the payment, Apple Pay, whatever. <laughs> yes, whatever it works. But yeah, a lot of my friends, a lot of people are very curious. You know, it's interesting. And like, you know, wherever you are right now in your IBD journey, and I always wanted to say this almost as like a little bit of a disclaimer, like we're a year and a bit past, you know, your surgery right now. We're laughing about some things. We're talking about trauma. We may have listeners right now who are nowhere near that, who this, like they could be about to have surgery post-op, still dealing with, I'm sure, very various levels of grief, really, like grieving in, in different components. But it seems like you now, where you are now, and this could just be today, this could be April 2023, but that you have a way right now to find a silver lining in humor, in your experience. But I honestly, I wonder too, Leah, does that come from, you know, people like us who have IBD or anybody chronically ill or anybody who experienced something traumatizing? You know, is it a way to cope? Because we've seen so much darkness. So when you were asking me the question, the keyword for that was seems. And... I'm generally, gen, generally, yeah. Uh, I come across as a happy person. I'm happy. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Am I grieving? Am I still going through the process? Yes. Do I cry sometimes almost every day? Yeah. Do we self-pity 100%? Like, it's uh, it's hard. And I can only speak to your experience. My, my experience. That's right. My journey. Um, it brought up a lot of trauma for me. The surgery's done wonders for me. Like, I don't want anyone to ever think um, that it hasn't. But there's things that come with it, just like everything in life. You wake up, you have this. I was lucky where I knew going into this, I would wake up um, having this. I My heart breaks for people who wake up not knowing that this was something they were going to. It's very terrifying to have a part of your inside that's meant to be kept on the inside, on your outside. Um, I felt very unsafe. Right. I felt very physically unsafe, especially like living in downtown Toronto. Not in the sense of like someone's going to attack me, but I was like... You're like walking in busy streets, someone bumps you. People don't care. Yeah. People bumping you, having to get to my appointments. Like I was, uh, you know, off work, not getting EI with the pandemic and like, you know, trying to make do with what I have. A sense of like protection, like my, how do I protect myself? Yeah, my yeah. first inclination for everything, and I have a dog, a large dog too, is like I'm always like right. getting better, but is like, is to protect. It's an instinct. Yeah, it's an instinct. Um, but I went through this process majority alone. So, and again, that's my story. Right. So, so just not having like the family support. I didn't really, I did not have the support I needed at all. My support was predominantly my medical team, and I'm very lucky for that um, because, number one, that's not their purpose. They don't have time for that in general, especially within our healthcare system, thanks to our wonderful government. Yeah, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Just kidding. No problem. Upside-down smiley face. Like, the crisis that our, our system in is alone Yeah, really bad. So even just the mental health that you're going through, and I have access to that, thank goodness, um, it's hard. Like, I have days where... Um, 
I just, I just, I can't get out of bed. Yeah. Um, and you have, and I have quite a large family. I've been you, to a large you had, you had, you had said something interesting. I don't know if you noticed that you had said what you had said. My, my, I didn't get the support that I needed from my family. Yeah. I think that's, that's so key because yeah, you could have people who are supporting you in yeah. your life, but if it's not the support that you need for what you're going through, like no disrespect to them. No. But it's, it's not helping you. The way I try to like, and I've learned this from when I was very young, like I've experienced trauma in lots of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, we all have requirements. We, we, we should have requirements for what we need in our life. Right. But sometimes those requirements, those expectations are not fair to put on certain people. They're not capable. Some people right. aren't even capable of doing things for themselves. And for the people that did their, did try to be there for me, um, what I can say is I know they did the best. To their capacity. To their capacity. I understand. Because I yeah. also will acknowledge um, having to watch someone, and I'm a really tough person. That's what people tell me all the time. And it's hard hearing that sometimes because, like, I don't feel it. Right. You're kind I of get it. to be. People will say, like, you're so strong. Like, people have said to me, like, oh, my God, you're the strongest person. Like, I don't want to be. Yeah, strong. and part of me wants to be, like, obviously, like, you know, they mean this as a compliment. Yeah. You know, thank you. However, like, you're, like, I'm forced to have to be this way. Like, I have no choice. And sometimes, like, a lot of times, this is exhausting. Uh, my life no? is exhausting daily. Yeah. In the sense of I have to work t to live. So yeah. one thing when you're sick, and I've learned this again from a very young age, I remember at Sick Kids, they have, like, this big window in the atrium area, and I used to just sit there at, like, 14, and I would sit on the bench alone. Because I've been there for months. Right. And the world is passing you by. I'm getting emotional. And I used to get, I was young, so I would get angry because they would expect me to do my schoolwork and all that. Right, right, right. And I get it now. And yeah. I did some of it, you know, but I was really struggling. And you're a teenager. You're not. Um, you don't have a perception yeah. of life at that point in time. And like, you're not understanding everything. Yeah. Is that. Adults don't even face. You're going through puberty. Like, let's not forget about what it's like to be 14. Literally, and you're <laughs> and you're not able to be a teenager. Yeah. And I used to sit at that window, and the world would just be passing by, and you know your doctors go home, your nurses do their 12-hour shift, and I know they loved me. I know they did. The people who work as sick kids, I just want to say, are I like, still talk to. They're sent it. from some magic. The hardest job. Yeah. I could ever have. Yeah. They're sent from some magical place and then they, they just like. It's a very hard job. And I yeah. can say that just as being a patient, like the unit that I would be on is a uh, 6A. So that was GI, but also mixed with transplant. Right. So I, oh my gosh, I would watch newborn babies come in and throughout my stays, I would be there with them. And at that time it was different. You know, you'd go in their rooms, you'd sit with them and you'd watch them. Die. That's it. Yeah, they they die. It was really heartbreaking, but um, you realize you know life keeps going. Your li life doesn't stop, and that's what I learned just by sitting there. At sitting there, and I'm like, does I used to think in my head, I'm like, does anyone know like what I'm going through? Yeah, and because you're just you're so alone, and that's like hard at that age. And at any, it's hard at any. It's hard at any. But as a child, like, and it's. What made it makes it hard as an adult is you're number one so aware. Um, I've put a lot of work into my mental health, like by choice, since I was 15. I just want to pause there for a second about mental health because it is my belief 
that if you are diagnosed with any serious illness, chronic illness, whether it's, you know, you can survive with this disease, but it's going to impact you for the rest of your life. I honestly feel like that diagnosis should not only come with a referral to a specialist, but it should come with, you know, an appointment to see a mental health practitioner. Whether you choose to go, that's your choice. Like, and people may get into that moment of when they want to go for to get mental health, you know, support. But it should it should be a mandatory I'm giving you this diagnosis and I'm also giving you this. One thousand percent. And I think I only know so much because I've had to learn how to advocate for myself because I've been sick for so long my whole life. Yeah. Um, and again, like going through this during the pandemic, like obviously our economy is just terrifying. Everyone is struggling right now. Like the fact yeah. that I even have a job is like I'm lucky. Um but you know, your bills don't stop. Your mortgage doesn't no, stop. No, nothing stops. Life goes on. Life goes on. I had to go back to work way too early um, because the backlog with the government. I wasn't getting EI. I actually only probably uh, in March only finally got EI from when I was in the hospital from December 2021 until practically April. It's interesting. You know, I was diagnosed when I was 20. So I was right. I was in my second year of university at the University of Toronto. Um, and I just remember like getting my diagnosis. Now, granted, life went on for me. Like I wrote an exam two days after I was like discharged from hospital. Now, oh, granted, those decisions were also made. I I made those decisions yeah. based on my ignorance of not realizing there's a disability department that I could have went to. And you have to keep in mind, like my first, when I was first diagnosed, you know, I've, I've said in previous podcasts and to our listeners that I lived in the dark for about four years with my disease. I told no one. I didn't tell my parents. Partially. Yeah. And partially because I actually didn't understand what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and my first experience, yeah, my first experience with a GI was was not good. Um, when I was diagnosed, I was nothing was explained to me. Um, so I didn't know what was available to me. Like, at that point, I was wearing heart monitors. I had just gone into the hospital. I was very emancipated, like serious issues, just diagnosed, diagnosed heavy on the prednisone, like taking a ridiculous dosage of prednisone. Um, and here I am, like walking into an exam. Uh, that way, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I think it's, I don't even want to say it's like ignorance. It's like you do what you have to do. Yeah. I was discharged from the hospital one day and I had an interview for like my 911 operator test. Yeah. I hadn't slept. I was sick as a dog. I went home, changed into like, yeah, I hadn't slept and I went straight to the internet. I think society is getting better now at. It's better now than what it was. Yeah. Society is getting better now. And just like this was 16 years ago for me. So society is getting better now, I think, at acknowledging illness. But I think with IBD and, you know, anybody who's listening who has IBD or loves somebody or cares for somebody with IBD, the hardest part I think about our illness in particular and and some others that are similar to ours is it's invisible. It's invisible. So you're, you're, you ask for help, you advocate for help, you know, and quite frankly, like you look well. Yeah. I, for the most part, like if someone doesn't know you, if someone doesn't know that you just dropped 35 pounds in the hospital stay for three weeks, if someone, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very much... And it truly, it really wasn't until... It takes a toll on you. Yeah. It wasn't until, like, obviously my parents, I lived with my parents, so they they saw my disease as it was unfolding. Um, and then I met my husband and we started living together. And then he started to see my disease. But there's even times, like, Aaliyah, where he'll say to me, like, like I'll be in pain. Like, I remember I, I'm not doing well right now with my disease. I'm having a bit of a, a little bit of a hard time, which is also why the podcast has been a little bit slow. 
dealing with physical health, dealing with mental health. I've not been shy about it at all. But, you know, last week I was literally doubled over on the floor. I was like lying on top of the ottoman. Like, because I was just like, I, I can't get on the floor because with my arthritis, if I get on the floor, I'm not getting up. Oh, I know. Plus I was in too much pain yeah. in my abdomen. So I'm just, I'm like on the ottoman. My husband was out in the backyard with the dog comes in and I'm literally like sweating. I'm doubled over. I'm yelling at him to get the bucket because I'm going to pee you. and I can't get up. Like just big old issues. And even in those moments, like when that kind of passed and like I, I literally, I fell asleep out of pure exhaustion. Like it, like it was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I just passed out. And I like, even then he says like, I, I to always say to him that he has IBD by association. Like he doesn't have IBD, but he's got it by association. Yeah. But even then in those moments, like he says to me, like, I don't understand the severity of the pain that you're going through right now. And like, and I, I remember being in so much pain and all I could hear him saying was like, how, what do I do? How can I help you? Like, nothing. right. And like, I'm just kidding. There's nothing like, I just like, I was, there's nothing you can do. Like, I just need you to sit there. And at this point, the dog is jumping and licking my face. So I was also like, you need to get this dog. As yep. much as I love it. Like, Please take it away. Then, like, been there. But it's, it's hard. And I think that's like, I remember the first time I met somebody who had IBD. Mm-hmm. And I was just like there's more of us yes you know and then since then I've met like thousands obviously from all over the world and it's amazing but I have different experiences in terms of the people in my corner who have helped me to their capacity but also in a capacity that was helpful for me at the time that I was experiencing the help and I'm lucky in that way but when you meet someone else with IBD like I've met people who tell me their life stories and we talk about all the things I don't even know what their names are bless them is what I say do you know but it's a different it's a different understanding. It's a different connection. It's just like, I don't know. I don't even know how to put it in words. I don't know how to put in words what it's like to meet somebody else who understands the struggles that you have. It's like almost like a sigh of relief. Yeah. Of like, it's, it's validating. It, it's validation. Yeah. Because even though um, I'd like to highlight, you know, again, I've been sick for a very long time. I don't think it's about competition because I've noticed a lot of people are like, well, I've been sick of this. I've been sick of that. Yeah. I've had this many surgeries. I haven't had that. Does like, not, it's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. What you feel is what you feel. And yeah. everyone's feelings are valid. And what I say is, like I said, I didn't have like the support I needed. That you needed. Yeah. My whole life with it. Yeah. And it, it's scarred me. It's traumatized me, but it's also made me a better person. Mm. I always try to... People tell me I'm getting really soft as I get older. Girl, it's okay. But it's like, for me, it humbles you. It does humble you. And when someone's telling me something about how they feel, it's not my job to understand that. No, I'm here to listen. Listen and be respectful. Yeah. Because you're not, we're not meant to understand anyone. Like, I'm not going to understand your, I can relate to you because you have IVD. Yeah. But I'm not going to understand fully your experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's very, I will say it is very hard. You know, I felt it for my dad. And during the pandemic, my dad was diagnosed with rectal cancer. And I had to manage his care also going through all of this and still am. But um, watching someone suffer like now you're on the other side it's it's uh I always knew it was horrible I can't like it's a lot of the reasons why my coping mechanism is probably not healthy I keep a lot of people away from me I have a lot of great friends um I don't really do relationships they're hard for me um because you really need a special I've learned you really need a special person and I've 
you know, I don't want the pity party or whatever. Obviously, it's been, I have issues in how I pick people. Uh, clearly. Don't we all? Um, no, I, I, I do. I had issues. I don't anymore. I yeah. I love my husband very much. He's been getting better. Just throwing that out there. But like you, it's it's terrifying because you almost, there's no guarantees in life. No. And you want that reassurance. And a lot of people can't handle the anxiety of, and or understand the reassurance that you need from them daily. Like, are you sure? Like, like they don't see, if they haven't seen those ugly moments of you, like literally puking in a cold. If you still have your butthole puking and crapping at the same time, as hats down, losing blood, yeah, like just death's door, and that's a normal day. Yeah, you know what? I've also I've always said like my when everybody asks me about advice, like what's some words of advice? I have lots of advice that I would give somebody newly diagnosed, like you know, from keeping things like a food journal and listening to your body and resting and all these other things. You know, one of the biggest things I always say is that you need to be one thousand percent transparent with the people in your life yep. about your disease. And I've always explained like. Unless you have IBD, you don't understand this disease. We can't expect people in our lives to understand what we're going through if we don't tell them. Like, we need to tell them. But then, Aaliyah, it puts the ball in their court. What they do with that information is up to them. That's right. And I'll be honest with you, I have, I don't want to say cut people in my life because that sounds like I mean a profit bitch. Like, snip, snip. You know, oh, it's not you. Ha- it's it, like I wish you, you have boundaries. That's I wish right. You well, I don't have it. I wish you well. I hope you have a fantastic life. But unfortunately, your editor is not working. Yeah, you know, exactly. You're fogging up my. And I, I'm also. Oh, yeah, you're, you're fogging up my. Fogging my shit up. My stage. And I'm also like, and I, and I'm not saying it in a way too that like, oh, I'm just trying to cut people. But, but it's, I also have to expect as well that like, those people who I've cut out of my life may also not have the capacity for me in their life. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. You know what I mean? But for every one person that I've, like, snipped, you know, two more have come. Yeah. You know? People will come into That's right. And the more honest and open I've been, and I mean, like, 1,000% transparent, you know, the people who have the capacity to, to be in my life and support me have become better for it. Like, they're just, they're, like, you know, there's, so, there's, I have a lot of beautiful people in my life. There's a lot of beautiful people mm-hmm. in the world. Truly. There really is. Like, there is. Straight up, like, second date, I told my husband that I had inflammatory bowel disease, and he was just kind of like, what is that? So, like, I explained. Like, I, I had, like, I literally was like, we cannot go far from bathroom right now. Like, I'm not feeling super well. And that's hard. Yeah. I had also just gone into the hospital, like, a month before I met him. I was like down 37 pounds. And I was like, hide those things. And it was, listen, with my second date, I was like, I'm also going to tell you, I am not this skinny friend. I'm like, yeah. not this, I not me. Look like this sometimes. That's what I'm saying. Like I was like, I, I was just in the hospital. I lost 37 pounds. Like I am drinking all the milkshakes until that body like comes back. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if you're looking for no, no, no disrespect to any like really skinny girls. But if you're looking for somebody who's got a thigh gap, I have one right now, but it will not be like ever, ever. I'm going to be there. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I had, yeah. I made it clear, do you know? Yeah. And you have to, also, like, for your own. Yeah, like. For your own. And and my husband is, like, when I, when we first met, like, one of those people as well, like, you are not having these conversations. Like, we are not birding. Like, and that was just kind of like, wow. You got to just, here we are. Like, think about the worst locker room you've ever been in and then multiply that by a thousand because this is where life is, right? Yeah. So I, I honestly felt like the more that I became honest and transparent, but people, people, the right people just ended up 
being in my space. Yeah, no, I've become more blunt with so they have to be. You have to be. be. The only time it's hard for me is, you know, when you have those deep down, deep, 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 those insecurities. When you're alone and you're by yourself. And yeah. Like, so like, yeah. am I ashamed of like, for example, my ostomy, am I ashamed of it? No. If right. someone had something to say about it, I'd probably laugh in their face. And then we're going. But like, like I, I, I would deep down feel not good about it because it is an insecurity. I know they're yeah. a complete ass for like whatever they said. Yeah, like piss off. But it's like it's your your insecurities and even insecurities I have going into you know it's trying to have relationships of trying to have open communication about what I'm feeling and why I react the way I do to certain things. It's like I I try to keep those. I try to be as transparent with everyone as possible so they can decide. That's right. The balls in their court. It's like when I, when anything, like even if I didn't have this, it's like just with dating, like be honest. Like if you're dating a bajillion other people, please let me know. (laughs) If you have, you have chlamydia. I also need to know that. (laughs) If you have children, please let me know. Because I need to be like, that's my decision. That's me. I also need to let you know that this is what my life is like. And sometimes we're going to cancel plans because I'm not going to feel well. It's not like, it's not going to be. yeah, puppies and lollipops. No, I'm gonna absolutely like after work sometimes. Like I, like I'm crashing. That's I'm, it. I might need to sleep. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you know, microwave. <laughs> if that, yeah. like I don't yeah. know. No, start after three. Yeah, interesting because um, it's so funny that you say that. I understand like the internal feelings. Like I'm boldish as shit. Oh, part of the pie. <laughs> um, when it comes to all the things and like. You know, for listeners who are from the Toronto area, like they know the region of Scarborough. I grew up in Scarborough, born and raised. Like, Scars of the world is, you know, Scar- Scarborough made me. Um, I also come from like an East Coast family who have zero filter. Um, it doesn't matter where they are. Um, they just gonna so like you know I would like throw that. down like if you're gonna disrespect me or my disease like I like legit gonna throw down. Any from Scarborough knows what I'm talking about. I will I will throw down. But then like I'm gonna go home and be like. I know. But I feel like I can have to defend myself moment. Like you said, what? Yeah, like, and then I'm going to go home and be in my feelings about that, it. That's what, I'm going to be in my feelings. But, that, but I always say, like, be in your feelings and, like, have that self-pity and go through these stages of grief. But I, I say to everyone, just get your ass up. Get your ass up. Don't stay there too long. Go get the help you need from friends and family, from medical professionals. Like, get your ass up. Like, you know. You'll find the people that... I don't know how to say this without it sounding like not. We all like trying to all be very politically correct here. Yeah, get your ass up, yo. And I don't like that because I'm not politically correct at all. Yeah, I just like say what it is. But you know, we all have. I hope we all have friends. Um, I have lots of friends, and I'm really lucky. Like my friends are my chosen family. Like I have. That's a whole nother level too. I have amazing friends, but it also made me. It took me a long time to realize like that means I'm a good person too. Because I always thought like maybe yeah, I'm not that yeah, great. Bye for that. Thank we you. We have the people. That's yes. right. But you are who you surround yourself with. Oh, 100%. But some of my friends, like, for certain things that I'm going through in my life, it's not that I wouldn't share things with them. I but you just know their capacity. Yeah, I know their capacity. And it's not in, like, a shady way. So you have to surround yourself with people that can, for specific things, too. But I would also hope, too, that the friends in your circle also understand your capacity. And know that there are certain things that like they shouldn't or certain things that they shouldn't maybe be coming to you right now. But that's I think that's the part of having like true friendship. Like I have a particular friend who I like my closest friend, my closest, closest friend, my buddy Zeets. 
I can call him for like a million things. But I know that when it comes to certain things to deal with my health, he's like, he can't. It's not that he, I don't know if it's that he doesn't have the capacity or more so that he's just like, Wix, I need you to get better. Like guys, it's it's different with, yeah. And my events to any men around, it's different with guys. Love you. We love you. Um, but then I have like other friends who I, I will say they're my friends, but they're not in my internal circle. They're like a couple rings out. Yeah. But I know like the first time I'm sick, they don't have IBD. I know I'm calling this one. Yeah. Like she's, she, he is going to give me what I need at this moment in time. Yep. Do you know what I mean? No, like, I totally understand. And that's like, that's amazing. And like, we all respect the relationships that we have each other. Like, I'm not one of those friends that it's like, where have you been for the last nine months? Why haven't you called me? Like when my phone rings and it's you, it's like, what up, girl? Like, like nothing ever changed. It's like, that's we just picked up where we left. Yeah. That's how I am with my friends. See, and that's what we need. Because it's like, I, I, for me, I don't know where my life's going to go. It, in with my, I could, like, tomorrow I could wake up. Don't they say, like, something about seven, like, like seven years of friends and then they just kind of cycle into a new... I don't know. I, I Honestly, I've I've had friends that I've known. I have one friend that I've had since I was four. I love my other friends are like I bet you that from Annie you can pick up the phone even if it's years later. She's like we mostly talk on social, but I really should call her. She's honestly like, we're still having epiphanies now. She's call like your friends person, but like take anything from this. Call your friends. I I have friends for like over twenty years, and yeah. like there are just there are just like you don't see them all the time. Like we're just like we get each other. We know each other, and you know what? There is like a when I was going through us to show them your Barbie butt. Those, no, this guys, I did not show them. <laughs> I did not show them. They would be like, oh my God, Aaliyah, put that away. They'd be like, oh my God, Aaliyah, stop. Hey, 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 guys, that you showed her, girls. No, I didn't show the guys. Are you kidding me? Why? Girl, no, I'm going to shock them into the next country. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm more than happy, but they're going to pay their dues and they're going to have a money done there with real money. Hey, Josh, I'm going to be your manager. I'm going to be your manager. $100 American bills, okay? We're going to auction this off. This is going to be a good thing. But yeah, okay, so before we... Before we end, because yeah. I know we're at the end, of, and I'm, I'm, this has been like, it's been a lot. This has been yeah. a lot here. You've been through a lot. You mentioned your dog, and I know in a previous conversation, you know, we talked about, and I, I don't even think we've actually talked about animals on the show before, which is why I want to take like a couple minutes right now before we end the show, just to pay homage to our pets. Three-legged, four-legged, no legs at all. Maybe it's a reptile. I don't really know. Maybe it's a fish. But. Anything that's not human. Anything, anything that's not human. That's what I mean. But you you had made an interesting point. You, like, it's amazing how you mentioned you're in the hospital. You're facing this life-changing surgery. Uh, and you you said, like, I like my dog's at home. Like, my, dog is, part of the decision. like my dog is waiting for me. It's part of the decision why, uh, part of the reason I made the decision, although you really don't have a decision, um, which is fine. Um, but it's like, well, I was like, let's just like, it's I need to be bell. Back. Like, let's get the ball rolling. Let's get out of here. My dog's having a meltdown. <laughs> like, not, he's on a hunger strike. He's not eating. No, she wasn't. <laughs> My dog does not do well when I'm not around. Like, it's like we feed off. It's just, I feel like <laughs> everybody, if you, if you do not have a pet and you're listening to this right now, you're probably like, what is wrong with these two chicks? Like they're talking about an animal. She's a 90 pound, like. Oh, she's like big presence. Like, she's got, she's tick. You're, you know, <laughs> she's, she's past the line of being tick now. Um, she's fluffy. <laughs> that's what the, all the facilities people in my condo say. She's um a golden retriever. Oh, my girls are like, like, she feels me. Like, she knows. And she knows seven. And dogs are so smart. Like, when I was discharged in that first period before I found out about the surgery, it was just the adrenal thing. Um, though they thought it was just that, like, my sister 
had my dog and I was discharged for one day. And obviously my sister knows my dog, but it was crazy. I was so sick. Like, but she knew her mom. My dog was standing over me barking. She wouldn't let nobody near me. Um, like my mom is sick. Yeah. Even when my illness spread, like they made me wait like four to six weeks in pain before they finally did something. That was the last summer. And my dog, you couldn't even get anyone. I would have people come to take her out. She would hide behind me. She would not leave my side. Like, and it frightened me because I, I knew something wasn't right. But emergency's like, yeah, something's wrong, but we, we can't help you. Even my dog knows something wrong. And I literally dog. said to my doctor, I was like, I think I'm going to die. The dog is telling me. <laughs> the, dog is, the dog is telling me. I'm going to die, so someone needs to intervene. And lo and behold, right where my dog was like, would put her head and right where exactly I had the pain. That's exactly right when they did the endo. They're like, exactly where you have pain, you have ulceration. I would have thought, who would have thought where your pain is? No, you know what? I've had dogs my whole life growing up, family dogs. And my husband and I. That was good. Yeah, during the pandemic. So, what was it? March 2022. I I don't even know what year we're in right now. March 2022, we got a dog. My dog is now a year and two months. Yeah, he's 14 pounds. Like, Archie. Yeah, he's a little dude. Yeah, beach poop. Uh, he had to be little because we fly and, like, he needs to Oh, it's that. hard, yes. Yeah, and, it, like, I've always had animals growing up. And, like, I remember when I was at my sickest point, one of our family dogs, like, she did not like going down to the basement. My room was in the basement in my family home. And she didn't like going to the basement the stairs since she was older. When I was ill, she was down those stairs all day long with me. Like, my mom would bring her food down to the basement because she would not leave. And she would just stay there in the bed with me. And now that I have Archie and, you know, a couple, about a month after, I'm not going to get emotional. About a month after we got Archie, I got very ill. Um, very ill. Then my mental health spiral leaving out of control. And I remember Archie at this time, like Archie was, what, a month and a half, two, three months, about three months old. He was two pounds because he's like, a, he was a mini at this point. It was, he was a fluffy potato, quite literally. I remember being on the ground. My husband had just like went to Tim Hortons or something and I got down on the ground partly because I was in pain, but also thought I was thought I was going to faint. And I was like, I do not need a concussion on the way down. So I had gotten down on the ground and this little thing, this two pound little thing came over to where he was and like basically like nuzzled right into like my face and my neck and just stayed there and whimpered. And I'm sitting there like, quiet, and I'm trying to love this thing. And, I'm, and I literally remember saying to myself, like out loud, like, I'm not going to die because I can't leave this dog with my husband. <laughs> no, that's... I granted my husband is like an amazing dad dog. Not like, dog dad sorry. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, like... like that's why I... This is my reason. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to... And this little thing is whimpering. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like, I need to get up. Like, he's terrified. He thinks, like, as ridiculous as this sounds. And, like, I go to my infusions now. And, like, COVID... My husband usually comes with me and, and sits with me because of COVID. They only want one person. So I sit there for the two hours by myself. But, like, it is mandatory that the dog comes with us. Like, so the dog stays in the car with my husband. They go for walks at the local park, like, while I'm getting my infusion. Because, like, I just... And then I come out, and every time he sees, like, my IV... Yeah, he just... He, I'll be driving home like this, and he'll just put his head here. And I'm just, like... When I do my Stellar injections, I usually don't feel good. Yeah, yeah. And she'll just lay with me, but... A few weeks ago, is really, uh, I think it was uh, beginning of March. For a while, I was going through really bad depression again. Um, just really struggling. And I didn't even have the capacity to cry. 
And Which happens a lot with depression. Too. Yeah. So with you, like, people you like, depression to, like, this extreme sadness, and then you're just emotional and no, cries all the time. Like, you're just, like, empty. Yeah. Like, I knew I needed to cry. I just, I couldn't even cry. Yeah. And my dog, she sleeps beside me. It's it's her her bed, her place. I just pay the bills. Yeah, I do not create my dog. I did when he was a puppy, so he didn't pee all over the place. But I tell anyone his like, he has his own pillow. He's on the bed, sleeping in the bed. Yeah, no, I have a queen size bed. It's her bed. I can just see people not rolling their eyes. At me. Yeah, no, I'm never probably gonna be married with bed because of the dog. It's okay. Um, but I was in such a dark place after my surgery, and you know I go through it still, and. Like I said, she sleeps beside me, but I remember specifically it was probably four nights in a row. She came and I just like that gave her that pressure, the pressure on my chest. And I she just sat there and I just hugged her probably for 45 minutes at a time, like hysterically bawling. And I just want to point out that these are dogs that are not trained to help us. So imagine how amazing the dogs are that are trained to she just lay there. She's probably like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> like, I wonder what she tells her friends at the dog park. She's like, my mom lost it again last night. Girl, she's lost. Lost. She's. This is her. No, she'll be all right. Her, like, imagine what she tells people. Okay, well, you know what, Aaliyah, it has been so fantastic to have you here. I I appreciate your candidness. I appreciate your just like unfiltered. <laughs> just take on life honestly i really do i appreciate you sharing like such intimate things with us here today and i hope that whoever's listening you know take even if it's just a small lesson but i just i hope they do take something from this experience from the trauma like you have taken and i think one of the key messages from both of us but definitely from your story is that this is not like a cyclical cycle. I feel like people feel like once you get out of one stage of, of grief or feeling unwell or, you know, one emotion and you get past that, that you're never going to go back to that kind of space. And it's not. This is not linear. Yeah. Like this is a journey of like, ups healing, and downs. Yeah. Healing's not linear, right? No, it's not at all. And I think you've, you know, really pointed out some important things. I think it was important that you you were so open about talking about the people in your life and the capacity in which they may or may not have to support you in certain times, you know, obviously talking about pets. I think the humor that you brought to such an extensive surgery and experience in your life, um, I really do hope it helps someone. I haven't had a surgery as of right now. I don't know if at some point in my life a surgery will be in the cards for me, but, you know, having people like you come on to the show and share those experiences I feel like I'm, you know, my I'm filling my tool belts. If it, well, I'm always here for you too. So. Yes, well, well, we're all. I'm, yeah, you're stuck. I'm gonna have to see your Barbie butt. So, <laughs> so, no. Hold on, no. Um, but yes, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our listeners, thank you for being here with us. Um, you know, the video option is new, and we're really excited about it. Um, I wish you all the best. Until next time, strength and positive thoughts. The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only.